Hey, y'all. Welcome back as we continue on through Numbers in chapter 12, verse 1, as they continue their journey through the wilderness. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. So Miriam is the prophetess and the worship leader, and Aaron is the high priest. And here they are criticizing their leader, Moses, because she married a Cushite woman. A Cushite woman was a woman of African descent, and they're criticizing him because of this. In verse 2, they said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. So they're envious. Verse 2 gets to the, the heart of the real issue. They're envious of Moses and his leadership in his ministry as they lead the Israelites through the wilderness. He has a close relationship with God. And they're envious of that. And it comes out here. And in leadership, in churches, in in everything in life, envy is one of Satan's greatest weapons. And especially to those who are spiritually strong, envy kills. And anything to do with love does not show any envy. And envy leads to evil. And it can destroy a whole team if it's allowed in. And God heard them. So in verse 3, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So here we have humility, and humility is the antidote to envy. Humility is the only thing that can conquer and avoid envy. In verse 4, so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the Lord so the three of them sent to the tabern- were sent to the tabernacle. And then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Arian and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. Uh-oh. So God is fighting the battle. God is calling them forward and is going to be speaking to them. This is rare. This is huge. And God is determined to stop the envy cold in its tracks. And he speaks directly to them in this. And this is a very rare thing. In verse 6, And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one that I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid? To criticize my servant Moses. So here God is speaking of Moses and the relationship. And God knows the dangers of envy. And that envy is the root of, it's a root sin. It's a, it's a sin that causes destruction. In verse 9, the Lord was very angry with them and he departed. So he stood up for his servant Moses because they have, again, they have a close, tight-knit relationship. They speak to face to face, and clearly he talks with God daily. In verse 10, as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. And when Aaron saw what happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for the sin that we have foolishly committed. So criticizing others is a sin. Envy is a sin. And they realize and they are saying, please don't commit, don't, don't punish us for this. In verse 12, 
Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. And this is what sin does to us. It's an outside look at what envy and sin does to the inside of us. It's, it's what it looks like. Decay and death. In verse 13, So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So God gave her a time out. She had a little time set aside outside the camp for quarantine where she could think about what she did. And Jesus breaks sin cycles. He's the only thing that can break sin. And God intervenes and God stops envy in its tracks and, and stops this ridiculousness before it can spread into the camp and spread like evil so does. And just like Moses is the humbled servant of God. Moses was humbled for 80 years, 80 some odd years before all of this. And he is a humble leader. And he, God even speaks of him that he was so very humble and more humble than any person on earth. And he is a humble leader. And Arian and Miriam are on his ministry team and their fellow religious leaders of the, the tribe and the nation of Israel. And after the envy, is brought in in the sin, she is faced with seven days of quarantine. And then Miriam is restored to wholeness. And just like Jesus, this is a mirror of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate humble leader. No one in heaven or earth is more humble than Jesus. And the religious leaders in Jesus' time, they envied him and they did not like what he was speaking. And it brought forth the death and the, the crucifixion on the cross. And after Jesus returns for his followers, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. Just like there were seven days of quarantine, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. And after the tribulation period, it says in Romans 11 that Israel is going to be saved. Israel will be restored. So I, this story, it mirrors, it mirrors Jesus. And in chapter 13, we continue. So we've had the quarantine, the envy is stopped in its tracks. Now let's go and see what this promised land looks like in verse 1 of 13. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Reuben, Shamia, the son of Zakur, Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, Benjamin, Palti, the son of Rephu, Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, Manasseh, son of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi, Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali, Asher, Sithor, the son of Machiel, Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vashvi, and Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. These were the names of the man Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, by the name of Joshua. So we have a name change here. 
In name changes mean that there's been a change in the person. In Joshua means the Lord saves. Only the Lord can save. And Jesus in Greek, no, Jesus is the Greek word for Yeshua or Joshua. So it's very similar to the Savior of our world. In verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people live there are strong or weak, few or many. So they get to have a little preview. It's a crossword roads. They're in their trust, their their trust test, their faith test. God is increasing their trust in him. And they're faced at the crossroads of the question. You get to see the promised land. Go check out the promised land. But God never told them to check out the people that were there, What if they were strong or weak, few or many. He just said to check out the land. So the question is going to come, are they going to move forward or not? Will they trust God and move forward in his plan for them or not? In verse 20, Oh, 19, I'm sorry. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do they do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So he gives them way more direction than God gave. God said, go, go scope out the land. It doesn't matter what they have to get through to get the land. God already promised the land. God's not worried about the people there or what's, what they're facing or what they're up against because God promised them this land. He's going to bring it through. In verse 21, so they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Labohamath. Going north, they passed through Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahamian, Shishai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. I can't even imagine that. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster. Because of the cluster of grapes, the Israel men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces." So indeed, God's land is good. The promised land is good, just as God said it would be. In verse 28, But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So there's fear entering. Fear is being felt as they give this report. There's 10 spies that are sent out, to, and they think that the Canaanites are too big, too strong. They give a wimpy report, like, I don't know if we can do this. But let's see what Joshua and Caleb think in verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. 
So he believes God at his word and he believes that they should go out and do what they promised or what God promised he would do. And they believe that God can and will deliver them into their land and their enemies will be delivered into their hands because this is their land and God promised it for them. In verse 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So first, they don't know what the enemies are thinking. They don't know. They they saw these big giants. And in Genesis 6, it does talk about the Nephilim. And so I don't know if these are giants from that or what. But we know they're really big people and they got scared. And they fell into fear of what they saw rather than trusting what God told them and what they heard from God. And they... They are in trust training, and will they trust? Clearly not. They're getting scared, and they're letting fear take hook, look, take hold. And they they get a look ahead and a sneak peek, but instead of trusting God and moving forward in faith, they forget to look up in faith, and they let fear take grip. And when we have faith, we hear the word, and we look past all the giants in front of us, and we see God through it. But they aren't doing that. They're falling to fear. So we'll continue on in chapter 14 tomorrow to see what happens next on our journey through the wilderness.